A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's just a continuation of the witch hunt. It's Democrat stuff. They failed with Mueller. They failed with everything. Don't want it. Don't need it. It's problematic. We are not going to uh, use COVID or anything else to prevent a peaceful protest. But we are not going to let them be excuses for political organizing for the sake of a political party or individual getting ready for the election. Behind me, a filled room of 9-11 first responders, and in front of me, a nearly empty Congress. Those were the days, huh? That was John Stewart from last year. Remember, he went to Congress and he, uh, he lectured Congress committee members about uh, letting the funding for, for health care um, functions for 9-11 responders full of cops behind him and firemen saying where the hell's the, the money he really made congress uh you know look at at, at its own conscience and the it was regarded as uh, masterful at the time i was very impressed those days are over those days are over now if you even mention uh, blue lives matter or back the blue and saturday uh in uh, Tampa, the law enforcement supporters uh, in front of the police station painted on the streets, which is, I think, what we do now. They painted black back the blue, a big mural, and immediately out of the woodwork, it's racist. How dare you? How dare you do this? Can you imagine? <clears throat> Here's somebody on Twitter right now. So the mayor of Tampa approved the permit for this ugly ass back the blue mural. I hate this city. It's incredible. It's incredible. People just can't stand it. I'm tired of this, says one Twitter user. How do you all not see that black to blue is straight up racist? (laughs) 
So one of the things that you're noticing, and people are saying, wait a second, Back to Blue is a rebuttal to Black Lives Matter. That's self-incriminating. That shows you right there what this is. As if Black Lives Matter isn't about police and funding in politics. Black Lives Matter is an aggression at the police. It's suggesting that the police need to be punished, that punitive uh, you know, initiatives need to be started and shepherded through because the police are so bad, killing people in the streets. That's the Black Lives Matter stuff. Defunding the police is literal, literal for Black Lives Matter. So police, it's fine. Police have to sit there and they have to protect the Black Lives Matter mural, which is totally demeaning to them, which degrades them, which spits on them, really. They have to protect that. But if somebody says back the blue, which means support the police, that's abhorrent suddenly. That's a slur. That's just crazy. It's as crazy as backwards ass craziness. And I am so sick of it. Hopefully, hopefully things are beginning to turn. Hopefully things are beginning to turn because we can't deal with so much craziness. Thankfully, maybe today actually there was for the first time in a long, long time, there was actually a little piece of good news pertaining to law enforcement. Happened right here in Massachusetts. Weymouth Hangs donated thin blue line flag on back of fire truck. A thin blue line flag that was removed from a Hingham fire truck last week was placed on the back of a Weymouth fire truck on Monday to honor the memory of Weymouth Police Sergeant Michael Chesna, who was killed in the line of duty in 2018. This is from WHDH.com in Boston. The Hingham Fire Department on Thursday removed thin blue line flags from their trucks and donated them to the Weymouth Police Department after town officials issued an order demanding the flags be taken down. The decision was made to conduct the removal of the flags on our own terms to provide the highest level of respect that they deserve, Hingham Fire officials said. The fire department had been sorry I'm sniffling. The fire department had been displaying flags in memory of Chesna. The thin blue line flag from Hingham's fire department was placed on the rear of Weymouth Engine 3 this morning. So they couldn't have him hang him because that was hurtful to somebody. Somebody in the community said, this is hurtful to me that you'd have a back the blue or a thin blue line flag. Because we've trained ourselves now that somehow supporting the very people that protect us from carnage and death, and yes, protect white people and black people and brown people and all sorts of people. The police protect us all. And we've been told that not only can we not honor them and revere them in any way, but even the suggestion of putting them in a positive light in any form, in any form of symbolism or speech, is hurtful? That's unfreaking acceptable. Go to hell if you think it's hurtful to, to protect, to honor the cops. How dare you? The hurtful is what the cops go through night after night after night. And they get in tussles with the worst elements on earth. When they get thrown, when rich white kids from Wellesley huck bricks at them, like they are in uh, in Portland. They're under assault in cities across the, across the country. And somehow it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a slur to speak of them positively. And by the way, if you're a corporation and you're feeding into this ridiculous poisonous propaganda shame on you 
Shame on you. I'm not a cancel culture guy. But I ain't forgetting who was on what side in this thing. We all said, we all made it very clear that George Floyd was murdered and those cops involved should be brought to justice, and they are, and that is a good thing. That does not mean the blanket condemnation and, uh, you know, the blanket rebranding of police as murderers, as subhuman, which is what has happened now. And if you're... if you if you're somebody who's cultivating this stuff, that's just disgusting. Let's remember where we were just one year ago when John Stewart went in front of Congress, and we remembered those cops in firemen who had been underserved by their government. Remember what John Stewart said, how it made us feel back before the great unraveling. Behind me, a filled room of 9-11 first responders, and in front of me, a nearly empty Congress. Your indifference costs these men and women their most valuable commodity, time. It's the one thing they're running out of. This should be flipped. This hearing should be flipped. These men and women should be up on that stage, and Congress should be down here answering their questions as to why this is so damn hard and takes so damn long. They did their jobs with courage, grace, tenacity, humility. 18 years later, do yours. Thank you. Right, wall-to-wall tears. That's where we were a year ago. We realized that it was woven into our public consciousness, consciousness, conscience, that police were the guardians of good, of civil society. That a lot of these folks, like Chesna, never made it home. A lot of these cops are snuffed out every year, leave behind families. They support each other, and I thank God, and I've talked to a whole bunch of these guys who who describe what it was like when they thought they were going to get shot and killed and what they thought of the last few seconds. I remember one cop in uh, Medford, and he said uh, this guy was shooting him point blank, and he just thought for a moment, he just thought while he was in the ground, and he, when he talked to us, he cracked up like John Stewart did right there, and he just imagined, just he just thought to himself, I'm just going to miss everybody, I'm going to miss everybody. This guy was responding to a call protecting the public. Just thought he's going to miss everybody. You got hundreds, thousands of families. We've talked about these these cops. Most of the, a lot of these guys are just beloved. That we one was killed in Florida a couple of months ago. I'm sure there's been dozens since. Beloved. A lot of these guys are pillars of the community. A lot of these men and women are absolute heroes, and they knew. They knew when they responded to calls and engaged with these criminals, they knew that it would be, that it could be the last day of their lives, and they're right. A lot of them are right. There's generations of the kids of cops who who had to rely on 
Can you just imagine? Ten-year-old kid, ten-year-old boy, you lose your dad. Cop dies in the, in the line of duty. Yeah, everybody comes in from all around the country, and they 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 salute him, and you know you you it's it's a grand show of respect, and it's wonderful. But that family is broken. Now, thankfully, these the these cops tend to take care of each other, and thankfully, somebody will teach that kid, you know, how to hit a baseball, how to throw a curveball. Because they take care of each other. Well, we need to start taking care of these guys too. These men and women in law enforcement. And right now, we have let our politicians abandon them. We've let the culture abandon them. We've let people, you know, rebrand their name, just the, the, the idea of law enforcement as a slur. And it's laziness and it's selfishness. The fact that you can't separate two things. The murder of George Floyd, which once again, everybody freaking condemns. But then look by and large, you know, just look at the numbers, that police by and large do a really, really good job. And without them, we would be screwed. They are all we have. Just look at the crime rates in cities. You've drawn the cops back. They've sta- they're standing down, and there are more murders and violent crimes happening in cities. It's through the roof. And those are black lives being affected. I know that the the slogan only works one way. It, it can only be cop on black person crime, and that's the most important thing, even though those are t- tiny, tiny percentage of deaths in the black community. But for some reason, because, well, it's, it's advantageous in a myriad of ways. We know why. We just focus in on that. This cop bashing is disgusting. Disgusting. Who are you? Who are you who let your kids go out and shout at cops? People from Winchester, Massachusetts, and Darien, Connecticut, and the Hamptons go into the cities and shout at cops and berate them and, and, and castigate them and mock them for not being as educated and as uh, and as degreed as they are. Who the hell are you who have these kids who do this? Your kids are disgusting. Cowards. Dirtbags. That is ridiculous. God, these... Can you imagine having a job as a cop or a fireman where you can you who the hell would make that sacrifice? I'm not a I'm not a man enough to have a job where I would where I could do that. It takes a special kind of person. It takes something special. To have a job where you know that could be it at any time. Thank Christ we have people like that, willing to do that. This has to stop. This has to t- has to stop. It's it's lunacy. It's insane. It's directly backwards. There's nothing wrong with honoring cops. Nothing wrong with it. In fact, to to honor a movement 
that looks to denigrate law enforcement, that's shameful. That's disgusting. That's, I would say, ultimately racist as well, because if it has to do with equality of outcome, now you've unleashed murderers on the black community, the outcome of which will be a larger percentage of black people getting murdered in the United States. That goes directly against you know, equality of outcome, I believe. Not to mention the fact that lives and families will be destroyed. Jesus. I am not, you know, I don't, uh, you know, donate to the Benevolent Police Society or any of these things. I have had, when I was a young guy, I had my own scrapes with police. I mean, nothing big. I was a, I, I was a softy, but, you know, just being an idiot. And I've had negative experiences as a result. Even recently, a couple five years ago, I had a negative experience with a with a cop. When my family was in the car, I was such a jerk. It happens. Sometimes in life, there are jerks. Cops aren't immune from jerkism. You know, either am I immune from jerkism. We all have it sometimes. It's not the end of the world. It's an odd position they're in. It's somebody you know, deputized deputized to have a bit of authority over you. It, you know, as you're trying to move through your life, it puts it's a hard thing to always empathize with. But that is the job. And if you think that we're going to now just make meter maids do roadside stops, good luck with that. Or healthcare officials. It's all craziness. But it's all built on the idea, and so is Black Lives Matter, that cops are bad. And they've won because our culture is so wussified that certainly media, spineless media, coastal elites, they have no, they have no backbone to, to push back on this, even though everybody knows the truth. And these little media activists from Columbia University, etc., who are taking over newsrooms, they know nothing. They know nothing about life. All they know is somebody told them they are really special and really virtuous, so they feel like they're doing something important. And the spineless supervisors around them, you know, older school progressives, let it happen. You know, essentially professionally murdered by their own hand, by their own doctrine. This is dark, huh? I didn't mean it to be. I didn't mean it to be. I was just watching some of that, uh, some of the stuff on, uh, oh yeah, maybe I deserve the music now. Murdered by their own doctrine in newsrooms, by progressives and intersectional activists and nihilists and anarchists in the streets, throwing bricks. Maybe I should listen to records. Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. That's a good idea, Joe. Maybe I should cool to calm down with some music. Listen to, um, listen to, uh, records. So, speaking of cops, not really cops, but, um, law enforcement in the Southern District of New York, of course, is going after Donald Trump for all sorts of criminal activities. This is very, this is very, um, this is very election year stuff. Um, you can take with it what you will, but 
funny how this stuff rolls off of Trump. You know, so here's my feeling on on Donald Trump and corruption in New York City. My feeling is somebody would have grabbed that scalp years ago had there been an opening. Decades ago, probably. I don't think Trump is, I mean, you obviously he's got a fixer or had a fixer. I don't think he's stupid enough to let himself get caught. I think that you know you're a big target in New York City, that there's always a police presence. And uh, police presence, I'm sorry, there's always law enforcement. There's always, um, you know, DAs looking to grab you and the, the feds looking for a big score. Somebody like Trump in around 1989 would have been a prime target. They would have loved to perp walk him. But I don't think they have anything on him. You know, they want to humiliate him with his tax stuff and this and that. And it's just, you know, this guy down in the Southern District of New York, um, Cy Sperling, whatever his name is, Cy Vance, is a. He's just another player, you know, like the last, we've seen so many of these guys now, whether it's, uh, anyway, anyway, Trump had no time for it today. The city prosecutor uh, confirmed a criminal investigation of the Trump organization. Do you have any reaction uh, to that? Well, I just heard about This is just a continuation of the witch hunt. It's Democrat stuff. They failed with Mueller. They failed with everything. They failed with Congress. They failed at every stage of the game. This has been going on for uh, three and a half, four years. Even before I got in, this was starting with uh, the Mueller deal. Mueller started a little bit after, but it started with uh, some of the people that you know very well, the names, Strzok and Page and all of the different people call me. This has been going on. This is a continuation of the worst witch hunt in American history. And uh, there's nothing that I know even about it. You know, they had, I had seen that today just a little while ago. And I said, what's this all about? I know nothing about it. But it's just a continuation of the witch hunt. Didn't work out for Congress. Didn't work out for Mueller. Didn't work out for anybody. So what they're doing is they send them around to all over the country, I guess, maybe. But uh, it's, a, it's a terrible thing that they do. It's really a terrible thing. The, uh, the witch hunt has gone on long enough. Okay. What else? <laughs> what I like about it is the what else at the end it is there was nothing to any of that stuff um ever but i mean that's this is dangerous stuff and this is why we're gonna have a problem i predict and i'm not the only one but we're gonna have a problem election day because the you have prosecutors trying to gin stuff up about trump trying to put it in the minds of voters and americans that that this guy is crooked, that he's involved in his own Trump syndicate, that um, that he's a criminal, and so he's he's lording over a criminal enterprise. And so if something happens in this election, for instance, if Donald Trump should win this election, remember, they didn't accept the findings of the last election. The candidate didn't come out at night to talk to the American people about it. She subsequently told people that it was the Russians and um, and um, sexism that were at fault for this. Half of the country believes that the Russians still had something to do with it. They've never had a chance to reconcile with their own minds why on paper their candidate could have lost. They never had a chance to try to put themselves in the minds of people in the middle of the country who were looking for something, who were looking for relief. A lot of the people on the coast have been living really good lives. A lot of the people, other people in the country, have not, have been neglected. 
but they never bothered to learn about those folks. CNN would attempt to prove that it was all just about racism, and they'd send people up there to talk to people in the Appalachians or wherever, and to a person, they would never find racism. You'd find other issues happening. People talking about the unemployment rates and factories having closed and this and that. And so you had a you know, a, a bunch of voters who had voted for Obama who then said, no, we're going to vote for the jobs guy. And until, until uh, you know, March of this year, he was the jobs guy. Things were going well. But the problem is with this election is if, if half of this country has not reconciled with the 2016 election and now the media is constantly swirling around these whirlpools pools of conjecture in uh, and uh in conspiracies about what trump might be trying to do you know with the united states post office and this and that etc and the russians again are involved again they're another player they're brought back for the for the sequel you know, you heard, we had Clyburn on yesterday. You heard him say that Trump is Mussolini, he is Hitler. So you've had this for four years. You've been telling the American people, you've been distorting what this guy's done. You've been distorting, you know, historic events. You've told the American people, be ready because he, this guy will steal the election. He's a despot. See, we had to impeach him. He doesn't care. He tried to... You obstruct justice as uh, for three years straight. You've told the American people that this guy, who didn't win fairly last time, is going to not win fairly this time. This media has not reported on why Trump could win. What's out there that Trump, you know, that appeals to voters? Now, the, you know, too many, too many Trump haters, and I understand why you hate him too many trump haters are going all in just like they did last time to say no way this time we've got it this fool now he we've had 40 years to see you know look at all the bad things he did kids in cages he loves Klansmen, and all these other farcical talking points that are out there that are, that are like a like a like a drug for Trump haters, just, oh, yes, that's right, he's a Nazi, oh, the, these terrible racist and this and that, and the world's laughing at us, yes, the world's laughing at us, and it's all this reinforcement, and none of it, it's laziness, of course, but, I mean, it's, the psychological term, I think, is recruitment, you know, you're doing it, you see your friend doing it, you think, oh, it's all right if I do it too, and it's, we're going to have a problem if Trump wins. Now, that's, to be fair, there will be people in high dudgeon if Trump loses, especially if it's mail-in voting and we don't know for a month. There's no doubt. There's going to be Trump people who, who assume that this thing got stolen, no matter what happens as well. But it's not the Trump side who have been in hysterics for four years. It's the other side. It's the other side now who has also mobilized in these streets to take over neighborhoods and streets who have successfully plundered, uh, you know, any any uh, semblance of safety and security that many neighborhoods have had, that many large cities have had, in the name of Black Lives Matter, 
And so the stage is set for bad stuff in November, and I it, do not have a good feeling. I, I don't have a good feeling. I don't even know. And if and if Joe Biden does win, that's a whole other thing. It matters who his... It's very possible that the person who is his vice president will be a defund the police cleric, essentially. Will be somebody who is hugely... It was... Like so many of these DAs around who are letting people go and not arresting people anymore. And if you've got that person with that mindset that's anti-police, that's, you know, simply lifting from the doctrine of the 1619 Project and white fragility or whatever, then it could be an interesting four years if Joe Biden wins. I'm not saying, by the way, that person can be white or black. As far as I know, Liz Warren would be as BLM as Kamala Harris would be. Doesn't it suck that we have to mention race so much these days? It sucks. Like, it's just, I know we have to do it and it's whatever, but I, I, I wish we never had to. But it's a big business. Um. Oh yeah, there's one other thing. We're gonna um, we're gonna talk about schools in a moment, and what we've got going in Massachusetts is probably what you've got if you live outside of Massachusetts. Just um, unanswered questions. So, um, but I want to play. This is Governor Grisham of New Mexico, and this just tells you what you need to know about the double standard continues. You know, people want to be able to door knock and be in lit drop and do all those other things you do when you're running for politics. Uh, running for election, and it, you know it's it, for retail politics. You need to be out of the house a little bit. Governor Grisham has no room for that. There are two sets of rules. Don't want it. Don't need it. It's problematic. We are not going to uh, use COVID or anything else to prevent a peaceful protest. But we are not going to let them be excuses for political organizing <laughs> for the sake of a political party or individual <laughs> getting ready for the election. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? So no, no, you're not going to do politics around here, not having rallies and things like that. No, 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 no. Well, I mean, if you want a peaceful protest, well, peaceful, by the way, this is an interesting term in 2020. Yes, if you want to do a Black Lives Matter protest, you are absolutely allowed to do that. Please feel free. Come on in, hit the streets. It's absolutely allowed. Uh, back the blue protest? No, no, no. I think that's probably considered political too. So that thus is the world that we live right now. Thankfully, though, I'm going to get some clarity and calmness as I talk to uh, my friend, colleague, and spouse, Alice Shattuck. Okay, it is time again to bring uh, the person who I go to as my oracle for many, many things. Most recently, she uh, negotiated peace between the dog, the Jack Russell Terrier, and the the remaining uh, guinea hens. There was an incident, and we are down one hand. We'll get into that later, maybe. Uh, but uh, Alice Shattuck is also the mother of four children. Some people say the single mother of four children, which I find insulting. And uh, there are children, ages 10 to 2, so two of them are in school right now, and a third... 
will be going. When's the third one scheduled to go? The third one is supposed to start kindergarten next year. So he has sort of a preschool daycare place that he goes a couple times a week. All right. So so schools for us in Massachusetts, like the rest of the country now, it's so untenable. We don't know. So it looks like right now that we're that the state is shooting for uh, this fall that we'll return to school. At the same time, I think there's a creeping suspicion, at least on the behalf of parents, that this ain't happening. And there are more conversations about pods and alternative uh, education. So one, where are we um, generally in Massachusetts? What is the status of school, public school, for the fall? Um, so schools are supposed to reopen in the fall in some form. This is the plan. This is the idea. Um, unfortunately, open means different things to different people. So what we're hearing right now is that schools are supposed to put forward to the state three models of what school will look like. One, where they go back in person and have masks and distancing and extra bus routes um, and PPE for everybody. One, where it's fully remote and one where it's hybrid. So some combination of the two, whether it's like a week on, a week off, or kids going every other day, or some kids in the morning, some kids in the afternoon. Um, I, like many parents, start to get a rising sense of panic when I hear the descriptions of these models because they're just untenable for my life. And the idea of the schools each presenting three models is that they're saying we might have to switch back and forth between them. So we might start in a hybrid model and then if there's an outbreak, we'll go to full remote. Or if it goes down, we might go to full in person and all have masks or whatever. Uh, What's scary about this as a parent is that there is no way to plan. And our kids are asking us questions. Who's my teacher going to be? What's my classroom going to be? Am I going to have to wear a mask? Will we have music class? Will there be recess? And the answer to all these questions is, I don't know. And not only do I not know, but we might not know week to week. Right. And so as a parent, not only can you not really plan and just as a as family structure and routine goes that's chaotic it causes stress and anxiety for everybody not knowing and as a parent now more than ever you're a shuttle driver for kids and so you have to plan your whole day around this stuff but also it is um if let's say somebody like you who has a job it means that and i have a job it means that scheduling will be erratic at work, which, of course, is tough for employees, but certainly employers. Right. Of course. There's no way to plan. There's no way that you or I can tell our employers what our commitments will be and what our schedule, what scheduling we can commit to. And frankly, I think it's untenable. It was untenable enough all spring. We've had all summer to plan, and there are still zero answers. And they're saying that's because they have to be flexible, but they are also between a rock and a hard place in the school districts because they have the state telling them requirements on one side. They have the unions making demands on the other side. And then they have parents saying, excuse me, you're basically not offering me school right now. And for better or worse, we've tied a lot of things to the public schools, um, you know, in in terms of just bare necessities. We've tied a lot of kids, you know, meals and 
essentially daycare to the public schools. Um, but more than that, we've tied property values to school districts. We've tied you know, our lives and our property taxes and all these things. Our school district, we just passed a humongous, um, not an override, a debt exclusion, but essentially a temporary override in order to build a huge new middle school and high school for our school district. But lots of places pass overrides. The town we used to live in just passed a big override that's a forever override to pay for new teachers. And they're going to still not have money for anything because of the pandemic. And now, as a parent... I'm certainly looking at alternative options because I don't think that what the school district is offering right now works for me for school. You know, I think everybody as a parent, when you move to a new town, a big part of what you're looking at is how are the schools? Will they work for me? Will there be before and after school care? You plan your life around this stuff, you know? Right. And I think there is. So with the teachers unions, you know, I understand that there is some fear among teachers that some of the teachers could get the virus and die. At the same time, there's almost no there's almost no data showing that the kids are at risk of dying. There's basically pretty good data showing that kids specifically aren't at risk. Mm-hmm. And not only that, that kids don't necessarily act as carriers in any serious way either. Kids are much more likely mm-hmm. to get the coronavirus from somebody in their household than to be the one to bring it into the household and give it to other people. So those fears are very overblown. Now, I understand that some people do have legitimate fears, but teachers unions are also, you know, pushing teachers to lie to their districts and say they have pre-existing conditions, <laughs> pushing teachers to um, to make demands about going back. Um, one school district I was reading, a third of teachers said they had pre-existing conditions and weren't going back. Um, one district I read, uh, you know, it was something like 25 or 30 percent of the teachers were saying that they would refuse to go back even if there were masks and six foot social distancing for mm-hmm. everybody the whole year. So, there are some districts saying that the teachers want to do don't want to do live remote instruction either. So now we're in a situation where parents are saying these schools don't work for us and the people who work for the school district are saying we're just not going to offer a school year. Right. And you've also got the teachers and the teachers unions have been telling us for years that you know they're the key to nurturing and cultivating cultivating our most precious natural resource, which are these kids, and they are needed, that you need these people, you need these people to sculpt the next generation, that they're an important and necessary part, except in the pandemic, where it seems that the grocery store workers have shown up, but teachers can't, and, and it, for some reason, and I think a lot of people look at that and say, uh this is BS. Well, right. I mean, grocery store workers have shown up. Big box store workers have shown up. You know, public transportation workers have shown up. Sanitation workers have shown up. The obviously doctors and nurses and those people have shown up. But you can argue those people know that they have a risk of getting sick at their job. You know, the the healthcare workers at the, at the very least have that sort of understanding. But there are a lot of people going to work right now who do, who never signed up to be on the front lines of the pandemic, you know? Exactly, including first responders, fire and brown shirts. <laughs> By which you mean police? Right. Right. Exactly. So, so there are a lot of people who are having to show up to work right now. And I think it's fair to ask, since schools are the biggest public expenditure that we make in municipalities, um, you know, how long do we have to go on paying for schools that are not happening? 
Well, is there is there a plan to give us our money then to spend somewhere else? Well, I mean, sort of the usual suspects of school choice advocates are saying, you know, if uh, the school district generally spends $15,000 a pupil, then maybe you should give the $15,000 or a percentage of it, say, give them $10,000 to go and, you know, buy homeschooling resources or pay for someone who is offering remote learning because most of the school so, districts are not. So tell me then. So... If that's considered an alternative solution, I would think that the union who wants to protect the health of teachers would be fine with that. Well, no, because they want all the teachers to continue getting paid the whole time that they're not teaching school. I see. So that would be, that is a wonderful example of the public sector, something that would be uh, considered... um, um, would be considered verboten in the private sector. Well, right. If If you you said, you know, you're going to pay, nobody's going to go to the Burger King anymore, but you need to pay everybody. No, it wouldn't happen. Well, right. And not only that, but the teachers unions have also forced in at least uh, Maryland right now, they're forcing private and religious schools to shut down also. So if you happen to have the money and you thought that was an alternative for you, where you could send your kids to Catholic school or send your kids to a private school, which have been opening, a lot of them offered much more mm-hmm. robust um, remote learning than the public schools did. Uh, they said, no, 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 no. If we can't open the public schools, you can't open your private schools either. Now that is vile and cynical. And if you want to f- destroy the and I'm in quotes, good brand of the public sector, uh, private sector, public sector union, then that is one way to do it because that feels like extortion. Using well, right. Kids. So that's saying, you know, not only do the Burger King workers get to say that Burger King can't open, is that they get to say that McDonald's can't open right. either, even if the McDonald's workers are okay with showing up to work. So, and th- that's, that's really a problem. And, you know, so I've looked at that and said, okay, well, I'm not going to consider those options because I don't want the state to come in and take it away from me after a month. Well, that could also p- drive those people out of business. Yes, it could. The private schools could be gone forever. Right. They don't have a lifeline of uh, taxpayer dollars like the public schools have. Right. They don't get to take tuition from you whether or not they open, unlike the public schools. Right. Which is built into property taxes, which is... uh, Makes you question the whole system. I think I think uh, Larry Hogan has pushed back. I think there's been an executive order today to try to uh, undo that. So hopefully that that happens. But it's interesting. This might be a, a complete referendum on the teachers' union. Well, this could break the public schools. I really think if you're a person who purports to care about the existence of public schooling in America, which you know teachers' unions say that they do, that you would really want to work out a solution here that works for parents because I can tell you that on the ground, the rage is building um you know it was sort of one thing when we went in the spring and it was we're all in this together and put hearts on your windows and the teachers are doing the best they can and let me be clear teachers have been doing the best they can they were asked to develop remote curricula on the fly in the spring in a matter of weeks and develop a whole system and do all this stuff and you know we have the public schools using zoom they have no you know system set up to do remote learning but that's something that could have been solved in the last few months, you know, and there, and there are ways that school administrations could put could put the resources in to allowing teachers to continue to teach. But teachers unions have essentially said, no, we don't want to, We don't want the schools to do that. So among your friends and contemporaries um, as parents, 
what are some of the alternatives parents are looking at? I mean, I would say that homeschooling is a big one. Pods are certainly... Now, how do you do that? Do you just get a book and start teaching? So there are lots of homeschooling curricula out there, you know. So you can buy, like, a math curricula. You can buy reading curricula. You can do all these things. I mean, you can just sort of do it on the fly. A lot of the curricula that are out there are religious, but there are also a ton of secular ones. But Christian homeschoolers have been sort of a big block of homeschoolers in the United mm-hmm. States historically. So so that's there's a lot of that out there is there enough chatter that you know there there, there was always an, a stigma about homeschoolers that they're a little odd you know well right but i feel that so i think that that's a fear that a lot of parents have had but i think as this ice has sort of gotten broken and there are more parents saying we're thinking about doing this that it takes some of the fear away because if you know even like five or six other families that have kids your kids ages that are in your school district that your kids already know that are going to be doing the same thing and they can hang out a couple times a week and you can go to museums together and do stuff together and have some classes that you're doing in common. I think that that removes a lot of the fear of like being the one weirdo in town that doesn't know any other kids or something, you know, and I, I, they're already, I mean, I'm in a mom's Facebook group for our school district that has hundreds of members that are looking at homeschooling this year. There are parents that already homeschool in the district that are running an informational Zoom session about what they do and what's worked for them. So, and that's just in my school district, and we can't be the only ones that are like that. This is not, and that that's a problem for the schools, because when parents say, we're removing our kids from the school district, which you still have the right to do in Massachusetts, um, to their chagrin on Beacon Hill, a lot of them, they hate that parents can do this. But when you go to the school, you have to tell the school district, I'm taking my kid out and write a letter of intent to homeschool. And the school district then loses state funding for your student. So they ah. still get your property taxes, but a big chunk of money for school districts comes from the education, the foundation budget, which is from um, Chapter 70 funding. And that is tied to a school funding formula that includes the number of students. So when the students go away, a lot of the money goes away. So, and so beautiful towns that pride themselves on the best schools would absolutely panic Right. So, and they will, I mean, they still, the really nice towns do get a lot from property taxes. Um, And I think that sort of the lower end towns, you know, without the sort of she-she school districts, they probably, you know, probably fewer parents are going to have the means to kind of pull kids out and homeschool. But it's going to be sort of the middle of the road districts that I think are going to get hit really hard because they really depend on that state funding. They don't have a bottomless pit of um, you know, taxpayer goodwill to keep taking money from people. You know, it's not going to be the Lexingtons and the and the Boxfords and the Wellesleys that are going to have the problem um, because they're still collecting, you know, 12, 15 grand of property taxes from every household in the town, no matter what. But, um, you know, sort, sort of middle of the road districts really depend on the state funding and are going to have a hard time. I mean, you saw how when... Charlie Baker was trying to pass that charter school bill a few years ago, how towns were freaking out. And that was for exactly that reason. Because when the kids leave the public schools and go to a charter school, they lose money. You know, they also don't have to educate the kids, so it should work out for them in theory. Right. But but they don't like that. They don't like to lose the kid and lose the $15,000 that they were going to spend educating that kid. Oh, what a dark force these unions can be. So, and you saw how angry that was. Now, if even, say... If 10% of kids pull out of the district in homeschool, there will be a freak out, the likes of which you have not seen because, I mean, that was 
There was never a threat of that many kids leaving for charter schools. That was always a really small right. percent. Now we're talking about a big chunk of parents who are saying, this does not work for me. You're not offering school to me right now. And it's also going to really hurt any towns that were thinking about raising property taxes or passing overrides or any of this stuff. Like, there is going to be a lot of cynicism there. Uh, yeah, I would think so. And also, if if this starts to happen or if they fear it happens, look for some kind of gesture that uh, on behalf of the union, but it has to be codified into through the politics of the state to to um, some kind of gesture of retribution. If you think, by the way, that next year, that in 2021, you're going to throw your kids into school next fall. They're gonna. They're not gonna make it easy for you to do that without uh, some kind of uh, what's that called, scarlet letter or something. I just, I see the worst in people, Allison. This to me is, uh, this to me is. It gives- oh right, they'll want to give people a hard time, but unfortunately mm-hmm. for them, the way they've set up this system, they, you know, they have to guarantee every student an education. So they even have to, if you decide partway through the year you're coming back, they still have to take you, because they're the public schools, and that's what they have to do. <laughs> So the usual begging that happens around this time of year where we, you have to go to Target and spend $175 to buy all the supplies that you think would come with the school, is that going to still happen? Oh, of course. I would assume so. And I assume that they'll be asking for mask donations and everything else, all too, right. because they have to provide PPE to open the schools. Right. And um, so these pods, would that could that be revolving teachers or as parents as teachers or are they trained teachers? so it really depends um some parents are talking about getting together and hiring a teacher you know a scab yes yes a scab or a retired teacher a scab. Somebody, uh-huh, okay um you know some parents are talking about alternating teaching days with each other to like lessen mm-hmm. the burden of teaching some parents are talking I want a day some we people are <laughs> some people are talking about you know a looser model where it's is there more... corporal punishment in our pod i hope um, i don't think so <laughs> i don't have to be nice to the kids i hope well actually i don't know if i'm degreed enough to be a teacher yeah i think i'll handle the teaching yeah. honey um but you know and there's looser ideas too where it's not so much that you're doing the everyday class stuff together but maybe you have parents you get together with to do like specific activities or projects or go on a field trip with a group of other parents and or you know you meet up at the playground so your kids are just seeing other kids at least you know because mm-hmm. there's not necessarily any huge magic about like learning math problems together you know it's really what parents I think are most scared of their kids missing out on is like the recess and lunchtime and all the other things that happen in school that are so important for kids development that aren't necessarily like the math worksheets. Right. But the the, the first plan you mentioned, everybody busing restrictions, so like one kid for every six feet or whatever it is, and uh, the social distancing in schools, for our school anyway, it's a it's an old, old school where there are, it, the room is the, it's small, it's, everybody's pe- kind of packed in. Um that would be absurd and fairly cruel, it seems to me. To- I mean, to me, it's a non-starter. I don't like to wear the mask for an hour in the grocery store. And, you know, God bless doctors and nurses who can do it all day for work. But I'm not going to ask my seven-year-old to wear a mask seven hours a day. I think that's ludicrous. And I wouldn't do it myself. So how can I ask my seven-year-old boy to do it? It's That's ridiculous. So what are moms doing right now? You said, I heard you say today that you've picked out some uh, curricula, I believe you said. Curricula, yes. I've uh, I've selected a math curriculum that I think looks good. Um, I'm still investigating different ELA is what we call English 
now what you and I used to call English when we were in school is now called ELA, English Language Arts. Um, so, but there's a bunch sure. of curricula for that. Um, you know, really investigating what we would do. I mean, we've talked about, I've talked about with the kids, other things we could learn that they feel they haven't really gotten a chance to explore at school. Um, some foreign languages, maybe, or some some science topics that they've wanted to learn more about. Um, so... Those are things. And it, does the curricula um, include the 1619 project? or um, That will not be part of our curriculum. Or what's the no. white, um, um, uh, white guilt one, the other one? The, the book uh, that white everybody... Fragility? Yes, I hope it includes that. In my curricula, it's going to, my ELA class that I'll be teaching every Thursday will be White Fragility. We'll we will not be, be covering it. White Fragility. And that will for... not be a topic of, I... of our discussion. I'll take um, issue with that. I will write uh, BLM on our living room floor. And yeah, paint. we're also not going to have Drag Queen Story Hour. Oh, that, I'm, so... I'll be doing my ELA in drag. So we should have <laughs> discussed this before we uh, came right. on. Sorry. Um... Alice Shattuck, thank you so much for enlightening us uh, to all this stuff. This is a crazy year for parents. And... It, it, it would be one thing if this was straight up the pandemic, but there is so much politicking going on here, and there are so many machinations behind the scenes and really up front as well that um, this is going to be, uh, I, I fear, unfortunately, a chaotic uh, fall. Right. And so I think as parents, we're all looking to just try and do our best to insulate our kids from the fear and the chaos and the stress. And I think a lot of parents are looking around at what the schools are saying they're going to do and saying, you know, I can provide a more calm and nurturing and consistent environment. That's really key for me. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people is just I don't want my kids not knowing what's going to happen for me. I want to say this is what your fall is going to look like, kids. This is what we're doing. This is what your day will be like and be able to provide that kind of stability. Sounds like a plan. Thank you, Alice. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Tom Shattuck. And I'm on TomShattuck.com. I'm on Facebook and all that stuff, too. I'm I'm around here. Send me a message at Winchester at gmail.com. That's two N's, Winchester at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. You can always, uh, if you want a particular guest on or a different kind of topic whatever let me know i'm happy to take input and all that stuff all right see you later even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.